0: I'll be reading from Acts 4:32 32-35. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of these things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them, nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all over possessors of land of houses sold them and brought the proceeds of these things that were sold. And they laid them upon the apostles' feet and distributed them to each and every one.
1: Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the life he lived that shows us how to live, for the death in our place, And for the resurrection that gives us the hope of life forever with you. Father, we thank you for Jesus' church, which we are. We thank you for the congregation that meets here. And we thank you for all the things that you do to help us do your will. Father, we have many who are sick. We pray that you will bless them with healing. If healing is not in your will, Father, we ask for comfort and strength to deal with what is father as we worship you today we pray that our praise is acceptable to you help us to not just sing songs and sing the words but to think about the meanings to edify each other with the words but to praise you in our hearts father we thank you for the leaders of this congregation As elders, Father, help us to do the things that you would have us do to lead this group of Christians to heaven. Father, we thank you for the deacons, for the work that they do. Help us to encourage them, help them to do the jobs that you've assigned to them to the best of their ability. Father, we thank you for the ministers and for the work, the untiring work that they put in to help prepare us to do your will in our community. Bless our community, Father. Bless us as we go out into it. We pray that we'll sow so that you may reap. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Number
0: 430, my name is in the Book of Life. My name is in the Book of Life. Oh, bless the name of Jesus. I rise above all doubt and strife and read my title clear. I know, I know my name is there. I know, I know my name is written there While others climb through worldly strife To carve a name of honor While up in heaven's book of life My name is written there I know, I know My name is there. I know, I know, my name is written there. If you'd like to mark in your hymn book uh, the song of invitation, that will be number 255. I am resolved. That will be, sing. uh, we'll sing that after Andy's lesson. 255. And then, if you will... We'll sing number 515 before Andy's lesson on Zion's Glorious Summit. 515. Let's all stand, please, as we sing this. <clears throat> <clears throat> on Zion's Glorious Summit stood a numerous host redeemed by blood They hymned their king in strains divine. I heard the song and strove to join. I heard the song and strove. suffered, sword or flame, for truth, or Jesus' lovely name, name, shout victory now and hail, hail the, the Lamb, Lamb and, and bow before, and before the great I Am, am. and bow. While everlasting ages roll, eternal love shall feast their soul, and scenes of bliss forever new rise in succession to their To
2: them. I adore
3: Good morning, church family. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that we are gathered here together to worship our God. I know we have a lot of visitors this morning. We're thankful for you and thankful for you being here. Uh, Thankful that whether whether you're traveling through or you're here for the first time or you're here for uh, an innumerable time maybe, Uh, we're just thankful you're here. Uh, Brothers and sisters, it's good to be with you. It's good to worship alongside you. Uh, Good for us, all of us, to come together and to worship God this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be at. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there are some black books on the pew in front of you. And Acts chapter 4, the passage that we're going to look at, starts on page 912. So if you want to turn to page 912 in that black book or in your own copy of God's Word, Acts chapter 4. This morning we're talking about generosity we're talking about the idea of living life with an open hand. And we want to th- think about uh, one of the, the best characters in the early church. You know, when you think about uh, the early church, in Acts chapter 2, we read the day of Pentecost... Uh, where Peter preaches that first gospel sermon, and 3,000 people are are added to the church that day. In the coming chapters, there's thousands more of people who become Christians, whether they're coming, most of them uh, certainly coming from uh, Judaism at that point. Uh, So they knew about God, they knew the Old Testament, uh, but they have finally realized and recognized that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the promised one. They name him as Lord of their life, and they submit to baptism. Uh, into Christ where all of their sins are washed away they rise up to walk in newness of life and they are the church and sometimes I think I don't know about you but I know sometimes I when I think about that that first century church not even the first century church but especially that church in Jerusalem for those first few months and maybe even years it would have been amazing to have been a part of that It would have been amazing to have been able to be there with the apostles, people who actually walked alongside Jesus, to live during that time, and maybe even yourself to have caught a glimpse of Jesus before he died, or on the cross, or maybe even after his resurrection as he appeared to many people, or to be able to just talk to other people who had seen Jesus after his resurrection, to be with them uh, on the day of Pentecost and the days that followed, to see the miracles, but really even better than that, to see the love that these Christians had For one another and in Acts chapter 4 we're going to talk about a passage that describes a little bit of that love it was already read to us but we're going to take the time to read it again and uh, and what I want you to think about and this sounds a little odd to you probably is that this this beautiful picture that we're going to read about how these Christians were were living together and loving each other actually sounds a lot like the Old Testament and we don't think that because we think Old Testament God we think he's much more harsh we think it's much more difficult to follow Him. We just think it's not nearly as easy. It's better to be a Christian, and it is better to be a Christian. There's no doubt about that. It's a, better, it's a better covenant we have, a better promise that we have. But God has always wanted His people to love each other. Did you hear me? God has always wanted His people to love each other. He's always wanted you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's get into Acts chapter 4. Let's read verses 32 through thirty-five, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Again, there are thousands of people who are there be, making up that congregation. There are thousands of people and they're of one heart and one soul. Can you imagine what that would have been like? You know, it's, it's a wonderful thing. You know, the church, the, uh, not, not just Jefferson Avenue, though certainly here, but the church at large is a wonderful thing. You know, it's different here in Cookville than it was in South Carolina. I've told you guys this before, but uh, I came from South Carolina, for those that don't know, and the church there is not as big, and there's not as many folks, and and, and it's different. Here in in Cookville, I go to the store, and I almost expect to see somebody who's a member of the church, somebody who's a a Christian, somebody who has a faith pretty similar to mine, and and to be able to interact with them and have a, a good conversation with them. Well, here you have thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem, who are of one heart and one mind. They're all focused on the same thing. It goes on to say, And not one was saying that anything of his own possessions was his own, but for them everything was common. And with great power the apostles were bearing witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. There was not, in this group of thousands of people, there was not a needy person among them for all, who were owners of land or houses, would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales, and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would distribute to each as any had need. It sounds like a little bit, and, and, and this is something even in our, our American culture, our, our pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps culture, that this is almost uh, anti-cultural, but it almost sounds like what some people would consider to be a, a utopian community. Where thousands of people are gathered and they're kind of in the same area and everybody just shares. And if you, if you have a need, I make sure that your need is met. And if I have a need, you make sure my need is met. And, and we're not, it's not, it's not, it's not communism, it's not that. It's not even the, the perfect idea of that. But it's, it's just, we take care of each other. They were taking care of each other. Thousands of people were taking care of each other making sure no one had any need, no one was lacking anything that they they might might come up that they have need of. It sounds like a utopian uh, community that some people would think about that way. And we're going to go to Deuteronomy 15 here in just a minute, and we're going to learn that this is actually something that finally God's people, the church, are fulfilling something that God commanded a long time ago, all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Now, we we read about there in those last few verses that uh, the, the way that they would raise the money is that people who owned land or owned houses, they would sell them. They would come and bring the money to the apostles' feet, and the apostles would pass out the money as any might have need. And then we have two examples of two men doing this. We have... Barnabas which we're going to talk about in some good detail here in just a second and we have a man named Ananias and they both sell some property and they both bring money and lay it at the apostles feet but they have very different outcomes following that so we have this this utopian community if you will this Christian community let's just call it that this Christian community that is described where they're all taking care of each other and then we have examples of two people who are active in that community they're both Christians They both give money to help other people, but they have two very different outcomes. Let's look at verses 36 and following. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprus and birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and he owned a, owned a field. He sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we have this first man that we know a little bit about. If you're a student of the Bible, if you're a student especially of the book of Acts, you know a little bit about Barnabas. He does a lot of other good things later, but this is our first introduction to him, and there's really a lot to unpack here. Uh, It doesn't sound like it, we could kind of skip over it, Uh, but if if we know some some biblical history, if we know especially a little bit about the Old Testament, there's some interesting things said about this man named Joseph, who the apostles come to name Barnabas. Let's go back in our minds a little bit, let me tell you if you're unaware or remind you for most of us, uh, that in the Old Testament, God's people were the Israelites. Uh, It was a group of people, a nation of people, and they had uh, gotten themselves at some point into uh, slavery in the land of Egypt. Uh, And some generations later, uh, God sends Moses to to send the people out of Egypt. We call that Exodus. You can read that in the book of Exodus. Uh, It's it's pretty simple there. Uh, But Moses is supposed to lead these people to the promised land. It's called the promised land because it was a land that was promised to Abraham and his descendants. The Israelites are Abraham's descendants. Uh, So they, they have to wander around in the wilderness for about 40 years. And finally, a man named Joshua is a great military leader. He leads them into the promised land, and they receive the promised land. When they get it, there's 12 tribes of Israelites. Each tribe gets its own area in the promised land. And within each area in the promised land that each tribe gets, each family gets its own area. So the, the head, the oldest man of the family would have said, all right, this is your area in the in the midst of our, our tribe. And then that man would have said, all right, for my children and my grandchildren, my great grandchildren, however many generations there were, they would have assigned land, specific land to specific families. And that land was theirs forever. It was always going to be their land. It was the promised land that God had given to them. And it was a fertile land, a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a place you'd want to live. For today, it'd be big bucks in the real estate market, okay? Uh, but you got the promised land. Uh, and, and then, but there was one group, one tribe, that didn't get any land. And they were the Levites. Now, they got 48 cities. So the reason they, they didn't get any land is because, there's there's other reasons, but ultimately the practical part of it is they're spread throughout all of Israel. All the twelve, the other eleven tribes, they have these forty-eight cities, and they're to help lead the people in the worship of God by serving at the synagogue and by worshiping and serving at the temple. Uh, so the Levites, they don't, actually don't have land, but they have these forty-eight cities. So let's go back, going all of that to go back to Joseph. Okay, uh, look at verse thirty-six again. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth. All right, so he's a Levite, so he's a part of this tribe who they don't have. Uh, land given to them as a part of the promised land uh, not only that but he's of Cyprus birth which means he wasn't even born in the the borders of Israel Cyprus is an island off the coast that doesn't have anything to do with the promised land so interesting thing there and then we look in verse 37 and he owned a field well, my initial thought when I read this in preparation for thinking about this and talking about generosity and, and what Barnabas does here, he sells this piece of land. He's definitely generous. There's no doubt about it. But why, why is his generosity even more significant? Remember, he doesn't, he's not promised any land as a part of the promised land. But somehow, he owns a piece of land. My initial thought was, all right, wait a second. Is Barnabas doing something he's not supposed to be doing here? Is he, is he doing something that, that was against the law? And the fact is, he's not. Um, Levites were not given any land, but it was not against the law for them to own land. So it was okay for him to own land. He could have bought it in any number of various ways. It could have been gifted to him. But whatever it is, he's, he's got land. But it is significant that I think that probably for this man we come to know as Bartimaeus, probably the fact that he owned land, he appreciated and loved that land a little more than anybody else would. If you were an Israelite of any tribe other than the Levites, you would know that every so often, according to God's law, even if you sold your land, you sold your piece of land, every so often that land would revert back to your family and you'd always have that land. Every 50 years or so is when that would happen. You'd always have that land. So if you needed some extra money and you would just sell the land and every time the 50th year came about, that land would come about to you. But for the Levites, it wasn't that way. So I would imagine, and this is a little bit of imagining that when a a Levite owned land, it was even more valuable to him. So he sells this piece of land, and he comes and brings the proceeds and lays it at the apostles' feet. And then we go to chapter 5 and verse 1, and it starts with the word but. So there's a a connection here that really the the chapter breaks in Acts chapter 4 to 5 don't really do a lot of justice. This is one story. Right here, we need to read all this together. He's talking about uh, that this group of Christians, this Christian community is there. They're taking care of each other. It tells us that uh, there are people, multiple people, not just these two men we're reading about, who are selling their land to take care of each other. It tells us about Barnabas, gives us some details about Barnabas. And then right after that, there's a contrast. Barnabas, a Levite who owned the land, was willing to sell it to help other people. That's a big deal. I think that's the point that uh, Luke is trying to tell us when he, when he writes this in book of Acts. But there was another man named Ananias. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept some of the price back for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your authority? Why is it that you have laid this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he, Ananias, heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard. So we have two men who sell some land. Both of them bring money and lay it at the apostles' feet. One of them becomes to be known as Barnabas, the son of encouragement, And he's a significant figure, a significant individual in the early church going forward. Another man sells a piece of property. He brings money, lays it at the apostles' feet, and he dies. And we don't even get to hear anything that he says. There's no words from Ananias recorded in all of Scripture. But he did a good thing, didn't he? I mean, he brought money to, to help other Christians. So what's the difference? That's what I want us to think about. When we think about generosity, we would think about probably most of us would have looked at what Ananias did and would have said, Hey, pretty generous. That's pretty kind. I appreciate you doing that, Ananias. And then we would have been shocked, as all of them were shocked, that he falls down dead. What's the lie that Peter is referencing here? In verse 9, later on, Sapphire is going to come in, and we, we find out that... Uh, you know, again, there's no, there's no comment even made from Ananias, but Peter asks uh, Sapphira, Ananias' wife, hey, did you sell the land for this amount of money? And it's probably the amount of money that they brought in and laid at the apostles' feet. And, and, uh, and she said, yeah, that's what we sold it for. And she's lying. And she, he says that you're, you're testing God. Why are you testing God? So they lie about it. They lie to God, Peter says. They're testing God. So what's, what's the difference between what Barnabas did and what Ananias did? Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Again, if you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 158. Deuteronomy 15, it's on page 158. Let's see what the difference is. Why is it that uh, Barnabas is praised and becomes a significant figure in the early church and Ananias dies? What's, what's, the, problem? what's the problem here? What's the difference? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 1. Uh, Deuteronomy, uh, the book means it's the second giving of the law. Deuteronomy means second giving of the law. That's what's going on here. The law has already been given previously. Uh, The law, the the rules of of God for the Israelites in the Old Testament is being given again. So that's what's going on. Uh, Verse 7, sorry, chapter 15, verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a remission of debts. And this is the manner of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned out to his neighbor. He shall not exact it from his neighbor and his brother because this, the remission of Yahweh has been proclaimed. From a foreigner he may exact it, from your, but from your hand, excuse me, but your hand shall release whatever of yours is with your brother. Okay, so let's let's stop and talk about this. This is uh, what, again, in the Old Testament would have been called the sabbatical year. So you have the Sabbath day, that's the seventh day. The sabbatical year would have been every seventh year. And he says, on the seventh year, you're to release any debts that you have. So if I had loaned, if we were Jews in the, under the old law, and I had loaned you some money, uh, then the expectation was that you were going to pay me back. Notice in all of these conversations, there's not any interests. Uh, there's, there's no uh, extra money that's being made. I was talking to the clerks yesterday, and, and they said, I think one of them, I think Ken was in uh, real estate back in the 80s when the, the mortgage rate was 20%. I can't even imagine that. That tells my age a little bit, probably. Uh, But twenty percent for a a home mortgage. Uh, But here in this this loaning that's talking about here, there's no there's no interest. It's just if I own if I loan you twenty bucks, you're gonna give me twenty bucks back. Okay, that's that's kind of the way this this loaning went. But every seven years, there was a remission of debt. So whatever uh, you owed me, if it got to year number seven, you don't owe me anything anymore. So if you owe me twenty bucks and you gave me fifteen and your seven came, then, then I lost five dollars. Okay? That's just kind of what happened. Notice again what it how it describes it in verse three. From a foreigner you may exact it, but your hand shall release, your hand shall release whatever of yours is with your brother. You forgive that debt. And there's a, a, an important distinction here to think about when we think about God has always wanted us to love our brethren. God has always wanted us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, listen, you can still exact it from a foreigner. If somebody who's not a not an Israelite, if, if they owe you some money, then they still owe you some money, okay? But from your brother, you're gonna release that debt. And that, that kind of idea is repeated in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, it says to be devoted to one another with brotherly love. And it says for us to give preference to one another. Also, in uh, Galatians chapter 6, in verse 10, it talks about that that same kind of idea. Do good to all people, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Listen, I want you to hear this because this is important that God expects this of you. We need to love the world differently than how the the world loves. We as Christians need to love the world differently than how the world loves. But we need to love each other even more. I need to give preference to to you above anybody else in this world. I need to love you differently and more than I love anybody else in this world. That's God's expectation for us. Let's look at verse 4. However, there will be no needy one among you. That's what Acts chapter 4 said, right? There was not a needy one among them and God says to the Israelites, there will not be a needy one among you since Yahweh will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. If you only listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God to be careful to do all this commandment, commandment, what I am commanding you today, for the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised you and you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow and you will rule over many nations and they will not rule over you. But if there is, verse 7, if there is a needy one among you, one of your brothers in any of your gates of the towns of the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from the needy one. Listen to that again, that that, that last part. If there's a needy person, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from from your needy brother. Verse 8, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his needs and whatever he lacks. Verse 9, Beware, lest there is a vile thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of the remission of debts is near, and your eye is hostile toward your needy brother, and you give him nothing. Then he may cry out to Yahweh against you, and it will be a sin in you. Did you catch that? You know what God's doing here? He's made this law, and he's made it pretty clear. Listen, you're just supposed to lend to each other. Yes, there's an expectation that if I lend to you, you pay me back. But every time there's a seventh year that comes around, that remission is forgiven. So he says, knowing how our minds think as people. Listen, he knows how our minds think as people. And the fact is, we don't want to give up what we consider to be ours. I don't want to give up what I consider to be mine. But you're a needy person. And God has, ex- has commanded me that if there's someone needy, I'm going to lend to them freely. I'm going to do it with an open hand. I'm not going to do it begrudgingly. I'm not going to make you tear it out of my hand. I'm going to do it Freely willingly open-handedly but then he says and be careful lest there's a vile evil thought in your mind when you say when someone comes to you and says hey i really need some help i'm in a tough spot will you help me but then you think well it's it's your number six it's your number six and next year's your year number seven if i give you money now i'm just out this money i'm gonna lose i'm gonna lose that money and god says hey be careful be careful You need to be willing to freely give even if you know they'll never pay you back. Even if you know they're not going to be able to pay you back. Even if you know according to the law that they won't be able to pay you back. You need to freely give. Verse 10 you shall generously give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give it to him because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you send forth your hand to do for the needy will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, listen, God says, therefore, I am commanding you, commanding you saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your afflicted and the needy in your land. So there's the Old Testament standard that we see fulfilled in the New Testament church in Acts chapter 4. This Old Testament standard fulfilled in the New Testament when we read about the church in Acts chapter 4 where they're freely giving, selling, and being willing to give. So what's the difference between Barnabas and Ananias? Barnabas displays an open-handed life. He, a man who generally did, wasn't promised any land at all, but somehow had come into possession of it, was willing to give that up and to give all of the proceeds and lay it at the apostles' feet so that people could be taken care of. What Ananias did was he portrayed that that's what he did too. We're not giving all the details But especially if we read what Sapphira says and a little bit if we read in between the lines, I think what we come to the conclusion is that Ananias and Sapphira, with her full knowledge, they sell a piece of land, let's say they sell it for $20,000, okay? But they say they only sold it for $15,000 and they bring $15,000 and they lay it at the apostles' feet. They want to look like they're living this open-handed lifestyle that Deuteronomy 15 is talking about, but the reality is they're not. The reality is they're still holding on. The reality is they're not willing to share. And, and Peter says, hey, you could have done with the money and the land whatever you wanted to do, but don't lie about it. Don't, you haven't lied to man, he says. You've lied to God. You're trying to trick God into thinking that you're being more generous than you're re- really being. I don't think that what, what this passage tells us in Acts chapter 4 and 5 is that we've got to sell all our houses and all our land and all our stuff and, and give it to people. Now, that is what Jesus told the rich young ruler. That was his promise, and if, that's our, if that, was, that was his problem, and if that's our problem, then, then maybe that's what we need to do. But the problem that Ananias and Sapphira had is they were presenting themselves as something that they weren't. Barnabas displayed an open-handed lifestyle. They portrayed it, but they were really lying. Now, the question is, and your thought is, and my thought is, well, if I live this open-handed lifestyle that Deuteronomy 15 is talking about it, won't I be taken advantage of? won't I be abused? won't won't if I if I freely give to people won't won't people take advantage of me? Let's turn to your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Let's read verses 27 and following. That's on page 862 in the Pew Bible. Luke 26. Excuse me, Luke 6, verse 27 and following. Here Jesus is speaking, Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and following. This is some of those, those things on the Sermon on the Mount kind of ideas here. Notice what he says. And again, I hope it's pretty clear already. I think most of us already knew this. Christians are supposed to be generous. We're supposed to be kind. We're supposed to be the best neighbor in the neighborhood. We're supposed to be helpful to people. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, and everybody's our neighbor. Okay? We, we know these things. Again, listen to what Jesus says. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who disparage you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes your garment, do not withhold your tunic from him. And then we get to verse 30 where we're really talking about this idea of being generous and what we've been thinking about this morning. Verse 30. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. And treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Listen to verse 32 and following. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners, even sinners lend to to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward in heaven will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Generosity. The opportunity to give to people who are in need. We have those opportunities all the time, don't we? In the first century, uh, a collection was made for the needs of the saints. And we're going to do that in a few minutes. But I really don't want you to think that primarily that's what this lesson is about. Be generous in that. But that's not what I'm talking about. We're supposed to leave, lead generous, open handed lives. When people are in need around us, and especially those of the household of faith, we're supposed to be generous, open handed, willing to give. Again, look, listen to verse 35 again. Love your enemies, do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil god has done it for us we need to be willing to do it for others because it's a command but there's a promise there that it will be it will be a blessing to us go down to verse 38 it says give and it will be given to you they will pour into your lap a good measure pressed down shaken together running over for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you God says, if you will do this, if you'll live this generous type of lifestyle, then you will be blessed. And you'll be blessed immensely. And this isn't just a money thing. Yes, it does relate to our money, absolutely. But it relates to our time, our energy, our efforts, our talents, our abilities. Give of those things to other people. If there's someone in need around you, in the Old Testament, it says, there shall not be a needy person among you. Now, later on in Deuteronomy 15, it says, when there are needy people, so it's not that, there were, that everybody was wealthy in, in Deuteronomy 15. It was that the expectation was that every time there was a need, it was met. And in Acts chapter 4, that's exactly what happened. Every time there was a need, it was met. What do you think the expectation of God is today? Thousands of years ago in the Old Testament, it was if there's a need, you meet it. My people, my children, my children. 2,000 years ago in in, in Jerusalem, the the expectation was, and the reality was, if there was a need, God's people, the Christian community, met it. What do you think God's expectation is today? It's the very same thing. If there's a need, whether that's a financial need, an emotional need, a social need, a physical need, a spiritual need, the expectation is that God's people will take care of it. And then I want you to look at one last verse. Luke chapter 6 and verse 46 And I read this to myself and I read it to you. Jesus says, Now why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? That's a gut punch, isn't it? What has God said to us today in His Word? Be generous. Be generous be generous but God won't I be taken advantage of won't, won't, won't I be abused won't I won't I lose money or time or energy or effort won't I won't I be taken advantage of yes yes you will do it anyway and then for those of us who would still all of us probably struggle with this at some point those of us who would still try to rationalize within our mind well I can't do this or I don't want to do this and and it's okay because of this that and the other then Jesus says well why do you call me Lord Lord and you don't do what I say The expectation is God's people will love each other. God's people will meet each other's needs. Why do we call him Lord, Lord, if we're not going to do what he says? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your generosity. We thank you for the fact that when we had no hope and no rights. And no interest in some ways in who you are. You sent your son to die for us. That he died a horrible death after living a perfect life. And that he rose again. Giving us the hope of life to come. Lord help us to. As those of us who are Christians who have said we want to be followers of your son Jesus. We want to follow his example. Help us to display that in our life with our money. Help us to display that in our life with our time. Our energy. Our energy our efforts, our talents, and our abilities. Lord, when there are people around us who are needy and there will always be needy people in the land, always be needy people in our community, always be needy people in our fellowship, help us to fulfill the expectation that you have that God's people will meet the need. Lord, forgive us when we haven't. Forgive us when we fail to and forgive us when we've decided not to. Help us to stand up, dust ourselves off, lean upon you and try again thank you for the blood of jesus christ that pays the debt that we could not pay we pray these things in his name amen brothers and sisters let's live a open-handed life starting right now if you're not a christian this morning god sent his son to die for you he paid the debt that you had no hope of paying through the blood of his son jesus because of the sin that's in your life because you've sinned and fallen short of God's glory in some form or fashion, everyone has. If you want to know more about how you fix the problem that your sin has created within your life, we want to talk to you about that. If you're already pretty familiar with all of these things and you're willing to dedicate and and ready to dedicate your life to God, if you believe he's the resurrected son of God, if you'll name him as Lord, meaning he's the Lord not only of the world, but he's the Lord of your life, and you're going to try to do your best to do the things that he expects of you every single day, not perfectly but faithfully, if you're willing to confess Him as Lord, if you'll submit to baptism, all your sins can be washed away, and you can new, live a new life. That again won't be perfect, but it'll be a life that's in Christ. And in Christ, there are many, many blessings, and ultimately and most importantly, there's the forgiveness of sins. If you're interested in that, if you're ready for that, we're ready to help you. You can come forward as we stand and sing here in just a second. And let us know that. If you're not comfortable coming forward, that's okay. Catch me afterwards, catch one of the members here, and let's talk about it. Let's sit down and And just look at what God's word says as we strive to follow him all the way to heaven. This morning, if you have any needs, brothers or sisters, or those of you who are visiting with us who may not be a Christian yet, we'd love to talk to you. We invite you to come as we stand and sing.